Thanks, Dan. Yes, as Dan said, we're in uh, Luke chapter 1, uh, verses 1 to 4. And I'll read that for us. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. Let's pray. Our Father, as we turn to your word, uh, please increase our certainty, increase our confidence in what we have been taught. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, well, my wife and I, uh, we have four teenage sons, and uh, we're in the phase of life when uh, they each, you know, as they turn 16, uh, we're teaching them uh, to drive. And I'm learning that teaching teenage boys to drive is an exercise in reigning in their self-confidence. Um, this came home to me one Friday night as I was driving home with uh, one of my sons, and uh, he was pulling into our driveway, and if you know uh, our driveway, you'll know it's uh, very tight. And I said to him, uh, very calmly, you're not going to make it. <laughs> to, which, to which he replied, it's okay, Dad, trust me, I've got this. <laughs> Uh, to, to be fair to him, as he points out, the hole in the bumper from the car hitting our veranda was only the size of a 50-cent coin. Um, false confidence, in that case, was annoying. Uh, very, very annoying. Um, uh, false confidence in spiritual matters is obviously much more serious. What if I'm basing my life on a lie? Uh, Paul actually considers that in a thought experiment in 1 Corinthians 15, and, and he sort of reasons with, you know, what, what if the resurrection was not true? Well, he concludes, we might as well just eat and drink, since tomorrow we die. Maybe as a Christian, you've, you've gone through a period uh, of doubt. Uh, maybe you've been confronted with the possibility that everything you believed uh, might be false, everything that you're basing your life on might be false. Uh, maybe you know people who are struggling uh, with those kinds of doubts. I don't think you have to be in, in ministry for uh, long before you come across people who are really wrestling with doubt. Well, Luke writes his gospel to give his reader Theophilus certainty, confidence, confidence concerning the things, verse 4, that you have been taught. Certainty, confidence, so that Theophilus might know that the gospel is true. Confidence that despite opposition, it is worth being a disciple of Jesus. And the way that uh, Luke does that for Theophilus is uh, to write his gospel. And in these first four verses, he basically tells us about the book that he has written. Uh, first of all, he tells us that what he has written is worth reading. Uh, verse 1. Since many have undertaken to draw up an account of the matters which have been fulfilled amongst us. Uh, many have undertaken. What, what I am writing to you, Theophilus, many people have done before. And it's interesting to think, you know, what, what is he talking about? Is he talking about, you know, Mark and Matthew, other written accounts? Possibly. Uh, but this language of, of drawing up an account or, or compiling a narrative 
uh, can also be used of sort of partial fragments of, of the Jesus story, even speeches. And I think the next verse, when it talks about this material being passed on, I think it's more likely that he's speaking about material like uh, the, the, the hymn that we have in Philippians 2 or the, the gospel summary that Paul gives at the beginning of uh, 1 Corinthians 15 or even some of the speeches in Acts. And uh, Paul actually, uh, sorry, Luke actually uses a related word later in his gospel and it's, uh, it's talking about people talking to one another and telling them uh, news. So it's not that Luke is saying, and sometimes uh, the, the commentaries will argue this, uh, you know, other people have tried to write an account, and, and I'm writing a better one. No, he's saying, what I have written is something worth writing about, because lots of people are speaking about it. It is worth writing about. It's not obscure. It's not a kind of area of niche interest. Um, I asked uh, Rod Benson, who uh, is one of our librarians, uh, which book in our library he thought was the most obscure. And uh, he came up with this uh, title from 2006 by Lorraine Peterson. Uh, if God loves me, why can't I get my locker open? Uh, you know, that, that does sound like a very niche uh, title. And, uh, you know, I can't, I can't imagine that's a kind of major apologetic issue for many people. If it is for you, you know, you know where to go. Um, <laughs> But what Luke is writing is not obscure. It's not niche. Many people have written about these things. The topic of this book is significant. It's important. It is worth reading. The reason I'm writing is because so many other people are speaking about this. It is so important. And obviously, 2,000 years later, we see the truth of what Luke writes. The effects of the gospel of Jesus that continue to this day. In Luke's second volume, in, in Acts... Uh, he records people describing the apostles as men through their preaching of the gospel who have turned the world upside down. Uh, Luke and then Acts are about events. They're about Jesus who has turned the world upside down. Uh, secondly, what Luke has, has written is based on eyewitness accounts. Verse 2, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and then became servants of the word, just as they have passed on accounts to us. Now, you might not be old enough uh, to remember, but if you are, uh, where were you when you heard about uh, September the 11th, the attacks in New York? I, I just come out of uh, a prayer meeting when I heard uh, the news of what had happened uh, in New York. But can I really trust my memory? Uh, Malcolm Gladwell, a few years ago, did a series of podcasts on memory and he referenced a study where they got people to reflect on where they were when they heard about the 9-11 uh, attacks. They got them to uh, write, write it down a few days uh, after it happened. And then sort of in subsequent, uh, you know, five-year periods, they'd get them to, you know, recall what they'd been doing uh, on that day. And over the, the next 20 years, what they find is that people's recollections changed. So, you know, rather than sitting in their living room watching the TV, 10 years later, they were convinced that they were in a neighbor's house watching it on TV. And they were so strongly convinced that many would refuse to believe what they had written just a few days after the attacks. They were convinced that what they had written at the time was wrong. And Gladwell argued that it shows that memory is an inherently faulty thing that cannot be relied upon. 
What does that mean for our confidence in the apostles, in the eyewitnesses? Can we really trust their memories? Well, if we were to give a, a fuller theological answer, we'd look at John's gospel, we'd look at Jesus' promise that the Holy Spirit would undergird their memory. But even when we look at those contemporary studies, it turns out that they do hold for people like me who were not directly caught up in the events, but crucially, they don't apply to people who were directly impacted in the event. So in other words, if you lost a loved one that day, well, then your memory stays absolutely consistent. If you were an eyewitness in Manhattan on that day, your memory stays consistent even after 20 years. Well, the book that Luke has written is based on the testimony of eyewitnesses, eyewitnesses who later became servants of the word, apostolic eyewitnesses, people who were both there and directly impacted by the events. His account is based on their testimony. It's trustworthy. And it's not as if Luke himself is a sort of dispassionate observer. Uh, thirdly, he tells us that what he's written has not remained at arm's length. Verse 3, it seemed good also to me, having followed everything for a long time. Uh, sometimes, uh, you know, people read the beginning of, of Luke's gospel and, and sort of think of, of Luke as a modern historian. Uh, you know, he's carefully investigating everything, and some, sometimes that's the way that verse 3 is translated. I have carefully investigated everything. But the word that's used there uh, is actually a word that speaks uh, of discipleship. Discipleship. Uh, Luke is a, an historian, but he is more than an historian. He is someone who has been caught up in the events that he is writing about. He's not an armchair detached historian just poring over his written sources. Uh, this is what the Greek historian uh, Polybius said about that kind of historical work. He said, book-based research is free of risk and hardship, or at least it is if you ensure that you find yourself either a city where there are plenty of historical works available or a nearby library. Then all you have to do is recline on a couch while carrying out your research and collating the statements of earlier writers, and there is no hardship involved in that. Uh, you can think about that quote next time you're reclining on your couch, carrying out the research for a church history essay. <laughs> there is no hardship involved in this. <laughs> but Luke is much more involved, and that makes him a better historian. The word that he uses here is used in, in 1 and 2 Timothy of, of, of Paul using it of Timothy, of, of Timothy following him, following his doctrine, following his example. So 2 Timothy 3.10, Paul tells Timothy, you have followed my teaching my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. So Luke is writing as a historian. The language, the structure, the form of this opening paragraph all point to the fact that he is writing as a historian. A first century uh, educated reader certainly would have recognized that. But he's not only writing as a historian. He's writing as a participant. He's writing as a disciple. And so Theophilus can have confidence in what he's been taught because Luke is actually living it out. He's a follower of Jesus. He has been a participant in the events that he's writing about. Luke is actually saying that his subjectivity, his involvement is a virtue. 
He knows what he writes is true because he knows its impact on his own life. He's not simply writing about something that has had no impact on him. He is writing about something that he is caught up in. The truthfulness and accuracy of what he is writing about matters to him as much as it does to Theophilus. Uh, Fourth, what he has written is an accurate, orderly account. Uh, Verse 3, it seemed good also to me, having followed everything for a long, long time, to write in a careful, orderly manner to you. He's resolved to write in an accurate, in a careful, in an orderly manner. Now, this reference to order here, I think, is an allusion to the fragmentary nature of the previous accounts that were circulating. Uh, Luke is going to write a more ordered account. Uh, He's probably speaking about uh, chronology, although he's not necessarily claiming a strict chronology. Uh, Later on in the gospel, you can read paragraphs that start with, uh, on one of those days. It's not that he's saying that everything happened in the exact sequence that he's writing, as much as a comparison to the previous kind of fragmentary accounts that were circulating. There is a basic, coherent narrative that moves from the announcement of Jesus' birth through to his ascension. And so we come back round to his purpose of writing. Uh, Fifthly, what he has written gives certainty. Verse 4, so that you might know certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. Just think about Theophilus. Uh, We'll speculate a little bit, but let's uh, imagine that he's a a young Christian. Uh, He knows the gospel. He's heard it preached. Uh, Perhaps he has sung the hymn of Philippians 2, 5 to 11. Uh, Perhaps he knows Paul's gospel summary from the beginning of 1 Corinthians 15. You know, he knows the basics of Jesus' life. Uh, He knows uh, some of the parables. Imagine how Theophilus would react when he read Luke's gospel for the first time. Our danger is that we're, we're over-familiar. We, we have four gospels. Uh, we've always had four gospels. We read them, we enjoy them, we love them. But for the first readers of Luke's gospel, the, the depth, the, the confirmation, the solidity they would have given to their faith in Christ, I think would have been striking. Here is the Jesus that you follow. Here's what happened when he was born. Here's his teaching, here's how he died, here's what happened when he rose from the dead. Uh, you imagine reading about that Jesus raising the widow of Nain, uh, the parable of the prodigal son, the rich man and Lazarus. Uh, think of the, the account of the thief on the cross. Uh, think of the resurrection accounts, Jesus on the road to Emmaus, uh, opening their, their, the, the disciples' understanding to, uh, of minds to understand the scriptures and how the scriptures point to him. I think of that little incident with the, uh, uh, the, the fish of, of Jesus actually eating before them as the, as the resurrected uh, Lord Jesus. I think of the ascension. Theophilus can be certain. The things that he had been taught about Jesus and more actually did happen. And in the context of you know, the early church facing persecution, fragile, you know, the danger of division, Luke shows that, Luke, uh, that Jesus really is worth following. Luke shows how deeply Jesus is anchored in the expectations of the Old Testament, how significant his teaching, his life, his death, and his resurrection are. 
Well, I guess the uh, application of this passage and this sermon is pretty obvious. Uh, read Luke's Gospel. It's, it's worth reading. It's not niche or obscure. Uh, it might not help you get your locker open, but you know what to do if uh, you need to do that. It's true. Luke has spoken to eyewitnesses. It, it's written by someone who knows at a deep level what he's talking about, who understands the implications of what he is writing about. It's ordered. It's accurate. It will give you certainty concerning what you have been taught. I think it's this last point I want to press home for us. Uh, there's a sense in which that's true of, of all of the, of the Gospels. But Luke's character as an involved historian, the nature of his work, I think make this gospel especially helpful for showing us the truthfulness of the gospel and showing us the fact that Jesus is worth following. It's a gospel to come back to, particularly in a world where we're drowning in information and opinion, uh, which can be so uh, disorientating, even as a Christian. Into that world, God has sent his son, but he's also given us his word. Luke, inspired by the Spirit, has written a book that gives us solidity, that enables us to stand firm and empowers us to live the Christian life with true, confident certainty. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we thank you for Luke's gospel. Uh, we pray that you would graciously increase our certainty in the gospel that we have been taught. And we ask it in Jesus' name.